Hello and welcome to the Brentas Foundation podcast, where we throw light on some of the African continent's biggest and most pressing issues and leverage best practice, not just on what to do, but how to do it. I'm your host, Marie Noel Ngoklo, and it's a pleasure to share in this moment with you. If you're new here, welcome. It's nice to have you here. If you're a regular, hey, how's it going? So this is the podcast where I share a lot of the super interesting conversations I have with really cool people. I'm a firm believer and sharing ideas that shape and challenge the world as we know it. My hope is that these conversations where you get to be a fly on the wall start further and deeper conversations wherever you are and lead to the exploring of actions and ideas that actually work and make a difference. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Again, I'm Marie Noel and you're listening to the Brentas Foundation podcast. Welcome back to part two of my recent chats with Isabel Sakok on agricultural transformation. If you haven't listened to part one, it's worth the backtrack, so do it. That conversation, like today's, is a very real conversation and I hope you take the time to listen. Otherwise, let's head over to the rest of the insights, questions and ideas Isabel shared on Africa's track record with the notion of agricultural transformation and what is required. Isabel, I would actually be very interested to hear your thoughts on that as well. When we think about the after, what are some of those opportunities and challenges? I imagine these would differ per country or region, so we can sort of pick one case study and go with that. But I'd be interested to know what the opportunities are when it comes to agricultural transformation, you know, improving productivity growth, um, and even profitable agriculture. Can you talk to us a bit about that? And also the challenges that we need to be cognizant of. The opportunities are immense. It can really transform Africa, immense. Today, intra-African trade, which is trade among African nations, is very small. At most, it's 15%. You know, you take other regions like Asia, Southeast Asia or Europe, Asia is like 59%. You know, it's just... Okay, so the opportunities, you know, when you can sell, Marie-Noël, when somebody is willing to pay you money for something, it is magical. You will produce. So the first you will. <laughs> is, I mean, yes, I mean, modern economic growth, this is what's wonderful about modern economic growth. It's not like the great, czarist or emperors or whatever of ancient times, you know, rich people. It, it was not something that you could do or you could repeat or you could benefit. We now have, we, I mean, we ordinary people now have within our graphs the means of improving our lot, of improving it for ourselves and our children and for other people. So, the first opportunity is huge market. You need a huge market. And Africa, and but Africa is broken up into so many uh, border restrictions. It's these, all these should go, you know. But, you know, this is very difficult to do because when you think about it from one country's perspective, Every border restriction I put, Marie-Noël, I make money on it, right? 
I make money when I tax you when you uh, cross the border. All that has to yeah. go. So what does that mean? It does mean, you know, once you make that go, that's why I say it is so important. Africa looks at its taxation system. You have to figure a way where to get that money. You know, don't depend on the money of the donors, which is like a fraction of what you need. I mean, get all the money you can get. That's my policy. I'm not going to sneeze at anything. But don't depend only on it. So the first thing Africa, African governments must do, they must remove all those border uh, restrictions. And there are so much. Why are there so much? It's because they are used to generate income. That's why it may be not good for you, but it's good for me, Marie Noel, when I tax you. I get a little bit of whatever. Mm -hmm. So this is the first thing. Talk about to get that opportunity, you see, you have to change something else. I, I think, you know, like uh, I've seen in so many pub African publications, Africa must really revamp its, its taxation system. You see, taxation system that is sales tax, you know, which, which is what it is, is, you know, sales tax hurt ordinary people. It means every pound of sugar you buy, it's tax. It's not income tax. You have a highly unequal system. You don't tax those guys. You let them run away with your money. They go to, you know, Switzerland, whatever, you know, all these tax havens, which I think is another key thing. Those have to be closed too. There are too many tax havens. They know where to hide. They know where to go. So opportunity is huge market. So you have to see what is it that is making it so hard for African governments to abolish all these. You know, if you just abolish all these uh, uh, trade restrictions, first, the people that used to impose it are out of a job. You have to figure a job for them. The government yeah. that you to use that money for taxes is out of money. So I'm saying you need to do that, but as in the land reform done right, you have to figure how to compensate the losers. They're always losers yeah. in policy reform. That's why it's not moving. That That's number one. I think if Africa starts there, other things will make it so much easier then you, you need to have money to build the infrastructure. I mean, that you know, you are very young, Marie-Noël, but you must have heard about Africa needing infrastructure. And I have heard about it yeah. as long as I have been in the business. Now, this is, ah. and then whenever you say, why did Africa not do it? Why we don't have the money? Well, find the money. That's what I say. But finding the money is very tricky too. So that's why you need governments that are committed to make reforms work. Why reforms don't work is because losers don't allow us to do it. And losers mm -hmm. typically are the ones in power. So you cannot just ignore them. I mean, they may be the rich people or they may be the poor guy who is, who is uh, getting the taxes for you too. 
whatever they are, whether rich or poor, doesn't matter. Africa will not reduce those trade barriers unless they figure an alternative way of compensating the governments and the people in terms of revenue. That's why it's so difficult. Isabel, yeah, no, that's such an important point you made, right? Reforms don't stick because, you know, the losers don't don't allow it. And I think that's that's very simple, but it also makes so much sense. And I'm curious. So in your life, right, in all these consultancies, what are some of those points that are able to shift the conversation when you find yourself in these policy dialogues, in these meetings with, you know, heads of state or people in government? What are some of those things that they need to hear to help them to take things more seriously? Or what makes things click for them? What's that language? Is that what maybe we are missing on the large scale? You know what? There are two things, Martin Noel. One is fear. Unfortunately, if they think they don't do it, their heads, I mean, figuratively speaking, their heads would be chopped. Their political heads would be chopped. They will move because standing in my way is not going to work. So you have to be able to be show them that if you don't do it, what happens? You have to tell them that they will not win. You have to show the losers. They might be able to hold on for a few years, but it's going to come. The guillotine is coming anyway. So, but you have to do it diplomatically, as you know. You can't tell them the guillotine is coming. But the, <laughs> yeah, of course. You also have to, and also, you know, you must not take them as the enemy too. You know, they are just in a situation, and this is how they make their living. This is how they go about it. And they don't want to hear you telling them, oh, no, you have to move that carpet. That carpet shouldn't be there. They don't want to hear it. You know, who wants to hear? Mm. Tell them things are going to change and you have to move. I haven't seen anybody who likes it. Nobody likes it. So that leads to yeah. second is political leadership. You need, by political leadership, I don't mean one man or one woman, although there is a man or a woman or both, but it's the leadership team that you need a leadership team that's going to push it through. So that's the second thing. Do they have that leadership team? So what you need to look at around Africa, your best political leaders, I mean, try to support those guys. Maybe if they win, it might help other people to make the move. You know, success breeds success. Failure breeds failure. So you do need to figure, and that is a genius of reform. You have to figure that little bit that you can put your foot in that's going to overturn the capital, everything. You have to do that. So this is very, this is a whole subject by itself, of course is political maneuvering. Yeah. So, but political leadership is important. You know, I see Agra says, you know, they, I mean, like Agra is a good institution. Could they use their, their credibility, their money, their whatever, to push 
governments to do things that they think are doing. When I say push government, you have to give them a way out. Often we look at reform like, okay, you mustn't go north, you must go south. Yeah, but if I go south, what happens to me? You know, we don't take care of that. So we really have to take exactly. care of what happens to them when they go south. They don't want to drown when they go south. They don't want to have their heads chopped off when they go south. They want to survive. So, you know, reform has this double edge. You have to show who is going to win and you have to show how the losers can win too. If they do certain things, you want them to do certain things to win. That's why, you know, when you talk about Asia, in Asia, historically speaking, is the fear of communism that did it. Japan did it under American pressure about, above all, you know, you can't say America believes in land reform, but they do believe in beating the communists. Happens in South Korea too. But in other places in, in Southeast Asia, they've done it. And it's not the fear of communism. If I take the case of Malaysia, wow, they feel they were falling behind all their Asian neighbors. You know, mm. I have worked in Malaysia and amazing, although they've done very well, they all feel they haven't done well. Why? They always compare themselves to Singapore, that little pinprick pinprick of a nation that, you know, has now a per capita <laughs> income of 62,000 or whatever. So, so, so th this African Continental Free Trade Agreement is huge. It has the potential of transforming Africa by expanding markets. But when you expand markets, for markets to work, you need infrastructure and you need government. I think a lot of our talk I see is, oh, the private sector must be good and partnership must be whatever, whatever. This is what I call, you know, apple pie and motherhood. We all, there's no disagreement there. The real uh, rub is you, in countries where private sector is strong, is where government is strong. It's not the other way around. You know, this is, I think, a big mistake that the bank did, you know, under their structural adjustment program. They basically have governments withdraw because they were spending money in the wrong place and the government were emaciated. Oh, and they say, oh, the private sector will come in. Well, that's wishful thinking. Private sector doesn't mm. come in. Government disappears. And we, we keep on forgetting it all the... Look, Asia has strong governments, really strong governments. And the other thing is, I think Africa, and I think the whole of the world really should learn from Asia, is what Peter Timmer calls the development trilogy, where you see your development goal as balancing growth, equity, and stability. You need the three. You have growth without mm. equity, you're done for. It won't work. It lead to so much misery and social instability. You cannot have growth without stability. If you're constantly, you know, a revolution like under Mao, he wants revolution constant. Well, he got his revolution 
but he didn't get a China that actually works. So governments, I think, must see their task in terms of the what I call the develop, what I call that I'm taking it from Peter Timmer. And when I asked him where he got it, he said, actually, he doesn't know, but working in Asia, that's exactly how they all think. But he's written down. Growth, equity, and stability. These stability. are the three things you must have when you're trying to develop. Don't think of only growth. You get a dualistic growth like South Africa. You get a dualistic growth like Brazil. It doesn't work. It leads to a lot of misery and poverty. And, you know, Agra and all the uh, African publications like to say we need to empower smallholders. There's nothing more to empower them than to give them land. They, yeah. they don't have any asset. It's so obvious, isn't it? You don't have any asset to your name. You can't build on anything. Banks won't talk to you, and you're stuck in your mud, literally. You're stuck. To me, this, and you can see, look at Rwanda. Look at what they've done after their genocide, which is devastating. I mean, it's like a nightmare. It was a nightmare, and it is a nightmare, a genocide. But look on the leadership, on the commitment, they found that guy was really clever. He tried to get aid, but aid, you know, you have to use aid in a way, you know, even the donors now, they are having a lot of problems with the war and the pandemic and everything. And it might be the time for us in developing countries to really look at our own resources. And we have plenty. And we forget the little farmer is a major resource if we make him so or her so. Because I hear in African agriculture, women predominant do African agriculture. If we give, we empower those, I think, empower them with land, empower them with water, empower them with market access, with information, but you have to support them. It takes a lot of money, but it is more costly to be poor than to reform. That's the thing. It is not cheap to be poor. It is not cheap to be always begging. You see, I think this is the great thing about this continental free trade. It's finally, it's yeah. a concrete thing that Africa can work on. And it's a major thing that Africa should work on. And it has, it has the people, and you look at the publication, it has the intellectuals, it has the people, it, has, it even has the money. If it, they won't allow it to go all over the place to buy yachts and whatnot instead of developing their own country. Now, that's the other thing. The Asian governments that succeeded were not corrupt. I don't, I can't talk about now, I'm not looking into them, but everybody said that. You know, if money is, corruption simply means money going the wrong way again. So there's a lot to be done, uh, Marie-Noël, but there's a, but I would say it is more expensive for us in developing countries to keep on being poor 
and to keep on begging than to really figure out a way in which we can reform, make the losers win also, but we need that political commitment. You need governments yeah. to be strong. You can't waffle. You can't say, oh, it's only five-year thing. No, it's not. It's 10 years, it's 20 years, it's 30 yeah. years. It, you should be willing to give it the time it takes. And I think this is a great time for Africa to do it. I keep I telling- I not agree more, Isabel. My African friends say, oh, I'm going to send you to Africa. I say, you go to Africa. I am in Africa already. But, you know, I'm not a politician. So whatever you can do, Marie-Noël, to get them yeah. to do something, you know, they have to, first, they really have to figure the finance. There's not like first, like you forget everything, but the finance is really to finance Africa's transformation. You need finance. Yeah. To, and Africa's transformation must include agricultural transformation. There isn't, I mean, yeah. there has been a lot of debate like, oh, well, Africa can just industrialize and forget about the thing. No, you cannot. No continent has done it. And if, you know, talking about Asia, if you look at the position of China from 49 to 79, and then 79 till after, it is so clear how agricultural transformation is essential. I mean, just in two mm. words, from 49 to 79, you had an agriculture according to Mao only so that you don't starve. That's it. From 79 to now, it's a totally different model. They've decided. Mm. You know, what's called household responsibility system is what I discuss in my book, but it's discussed everywhere because it's changed China and it's changed Asia. You see, great things happen in agriculture. We must not forget it. Great things have always happened in agriculture, even for the rich countries. Yeah. So don't look down on those poor Farmers, they are poor and miserable because we've let them down. Because we mm. just pile with all kinds of constraints and we, we think we can, quote, empower them. We can't. Give them something real. Give them, not just talk, give them something real that they can work on, they can make money from, they can move and in my experience, nobody is more keen and more capable of doing it than the poor themselves. They are so waiting to have a chance to move. They don't need your yeah. encouragement. They will run. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I really, the idea of it's more costly, really, to be poor than to reform it. I couldn't agree more because, I mean, even more recently, I don't know if I... Um, you've got a copy yet, but one of the newest books out of the Brentus Foundation, actually written by uh, Greg Mills, who you know, is titled Expensive Poverty. And it's it's, it's really along the lines of how uh, we haven't done so well with aid and how we can actually use aid better. But this idea that, you know, 
poverty is expensive, right? It's it's nobody, it's not the preferred option. Nobody wants to be in that space. So thank you um, for pointing that out. And I know I've taken a whole lot of your time, but gosh, I hope we can do um, another time where we can chat again because the insights coming out of you and then the the, the, the level at which you are talking about a lot of these sort of research topics, it makes it more relatable, it makes it easier to understand. So I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you very much for that um, and for just even giving me this time. It's a pleasure, Marie Noel. It's a pleasure. Yes. Yeah. I think we so, in Africa, a lot of things, and you're a young woman, you can do a lot, Marie Noel. That brings us to the end of today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did putting it together. I love, love learning new things. Hey, if you enjoyed this chat, you definitely enjoy others that came before it. Check out previous episodes on whichever platform you're tuned into now or visit our website www.thebrentersfoundation.org for other episodes. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if I could make one last ask of you, please do share this with others. Again, you're listening to Marie Noel on the Brentas Foundation podcast and it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. Until next week, stay well.